Thank you guys for letting me come be a part of uh, worship this morning with you. Uh, Drew told me that he usually preaches for like an hour and a half, so um, but buckle up because we're going to get this thing rolling and it's going to take a while. Um, actually, I'm just kidding, Drew, I know you said you're watching, so I want to preach that one. All right, we're going to be um, in Luke chapter 8 this morning, and we're actually going to look at kind of three consecutive stories in Luke chapter 8 that all kind of fit together, and it's a really neat kind of thing that Luke does in, in chapter 8 to, to kind of share this narrative of what is going on um, with Jesus and what is taking place in these three different kind of scenarios. But I, I wanted to actually read it all. I know it's going to be a little bit, but you know what? We like reading the Word of God, right? So let's just, uh, we're going to read Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22. Hey, there it is. Starting in verse 22. I guess it's back there for you guys. It says, One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down the lake so that the boat was, was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. So again, this is kind of a continuation of the story, right? So they're, they're crossing the lake from Galilee, which when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let go to let them go into them, and gave them and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told him to, and told all uh, told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Alright, this last story. So now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. 
Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowd almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing around you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me, and I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him, except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead, but he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. And this is the word of God from Luke chapter 8. And so there's these three kind of connecting stories. And one of the reasons I really like these three stories and I like to kind of tell them together is because in each of these three stories, I actually see my own story staring back at me. Okay, how many of you, how many of you guys grew up being afraid of the dark? Okay. How many of you were afraid of like stepping on glass or Barney showing up to your house late at night or something weird like that? I don't know. You guys are probably, there's a lot of things that we were probably afraid of when you're growing up. And, and some of those things that you're afraid of, as you get older, they tend to leave and some of them don't. They kind of stick with you. I remember one day I was in my oldest son, his name is Gabriel, and he was three at the time. There was something that happened, and he was kind of scared of something, and so we were having this conversation, and I was telling him that it's okay to be afraid of things at times. It's, it's all right to be afraid of things. And, and I just said, there's nothing wrong with that. And he says, yeah, but Daddy, you're not afraid of anything. And I'm like, every bit of my ego wanted to be like, that's right, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise either. You know, but I swallowed my pride, and I wanted to be a good dad and, and help him understand that there are moments where even daddies get scared of things, right? And so I told him, you know, I told him the exact thing. I said, even daddies get scared. And so he asks this question that you can't escape as a parent. He says, well, so what kinds of things, dad? And I'm like, oh, great. How do I, how do I tell my three-year-old son that you fear things like running out of money? That you fear things like uh, losing the people that are closest to you. How, how do you tell a three-year-old kid that you fear you fear the thing that you have given your life to create won't come to fruition the way that you want it to? How do you tell a three-year-old those types of fears that are more established in you as an adult that a three-year-old can't really fully understand? How do you tell them something like that? So I told him the only thing I could think of, and I told him, look, sometimes I'm scared that, that sometimes 
I'm not the best dad that you deserve. And I was thinking, man, I just like hit a home run. Like this is like a, an incredible moment with my son. He's gonna look at this, he's gonna remember it for like the rest of his life. And I remember as clear as day, he responds to me, he goes, hmm, that's really weird. <laughs> And I was like, oh, this was a complete failure. <laughs> but fear is a part of the human experience. We all know what it feels like, what it looks like to have to be afraid of things. When, when things get challenging and we face these difficult conflicts or challenges in life, we know what it feels like to have that moment of anxiety and fear. One of the things I've struggled the most with is rationalizing the, the call of Jesus toward a posture of faith. But it seems like fear is so much easier to believe in at times. I mean, you can see it everywhere, right? People lead through fear, they give in to fear. We make choices out of fear. It seems like believing in fear is oftentimes much easier than having faith. And hope that something good can come out of whatever it is that you're facing in the world. Faith and fear are a part of all of our story, and they're certainly a part of our story of faith, of our spiritual walk with Jesus. We have moments of deep faith in our family, in our friends, or, or in our jobs that we will, that we will you know, wake up healthy in the morning. We have faith in those moments, but then also there are moments when fears of all sorts of things begin to creep inside of us, like we're going to fail, right? Failure. That people won't like us, that we're going to lose our jobs, that maybe we're not good enough, right? And so we get to this section of Luke, and, and, and Jesus has these three interactions. And in each of these stories, the people around Jesus are experiencing situations where they were afraid. You heard that probably as we were reading these stories. And, and the end of this final interaction, Jesus makes a statement that kind of ties all of these moments of fear together and brings hope to the forefront. And so I want to look at each of these stories again, just kind of one at a time. And, and we read, we're not going to dig into each piece of these stories. We're just going to kind of look at the big picture of what's going on. Because I think Jesus is trying to get our attention to show us how to live in a posture of belief that acknowledges the challenges of our context, but propels us into the trajectory of hope. And so in this first story, Jesus and his disciples are sailing across the Sea of Galilee. And storms are pretty regular on the Sea of Galilee. I was actually reading about a storm that happened, I think it was like in 1992. And it sent these 10-foot uh, tall waves into Tiberias, which is a city right on uh, the coastal you know, waters of the Sea of Galilee. And so the storm that the disciples were experiencing in this moment was probably pretty intense. And in this moment, they were fearing for their lives. That's what they say, right? We're going to drown. And so verse 24 says, They wake up Jesus, who was asleep, and they say, Master, Master, we are, we're about to drown. And I honestly just picture them like yelling this, like their voices are cracking, and they're like running into each other and all this kind of stuff. They're freaking out on the boat. It's not you know, a subtle way of trying to wake up Jesus. But they're thinking, this isn't how it's supposed to go. This isn't how it ends, right? It shouldn't be the way it ends. I mean, Jesus is asleep, right? The one guy who might be able to get them out of this mess is sleeping through this gigantic storm. And either Jesus was really, really tired, 
or he was doing that uh, what kind of all of us do from time to time when we don't want to wake up and we're thinking, maybe I'll just lay here and the person who's bothering me will go away. I mean, we do this all the time with our kids. I have four kids, and my kids will come into the house, and my wife and I are like, just lay there, maybe they'll go away. I don't think that's what Jesus is doing in this moment. I think he was actually probably fairly tired, right? But I've often struggled with why then, once Jesus woke up, he calmed the storm, and then he looks at his disciples and he says something that we've said for a long time and we know what he says, but it feels kind of weird. He says, where is your faith? Where's your faith? It honestly, it seems a bit harsh to me. I think if it was you and I in this situation, we would probably react the same way to a storm and then seeing Jesus sleeping through the storm, right? We would probably react the same way. It was obvious that nothing short of shaking Jesus awake was going to wake him up. If the noise and the movement of the storm wasn't waking Jesus up, then of course these, these guys, these men are freaking out. They don't know what to do. How are they going to get through this moment? There's a massive storm that has the potential to kill them, and Jesus is somehow sleeping through it. And so they're afraid, and they wake Jesus, Jesus up, and they start yelling, God, Jesus, we're going to die. If you don't do something, this is it. Okay, I really hate the ocean. This is confession time. I really don't like the ocean. So there's a lot of you know crazy unknown creatures and things you can't see. People are always like, let's go to the beach. And I'm like, what? That sounds terrible. I don't know. You guys may love the ocean and never want me to come back and talk to you again. But that's okay. This is just me. I don't tend to like the ocean. And so I read about these guys' reaction to what is taking place in the storm. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. That, that feels about how I would react in this moment. But I think it was more than just the storm and the threat of death that the disciples were afraid of in this moment. They've seen Jesus do some pretty incredible things and make some pretty amazing claims about who he is. And in this moment, there is fear that perhaps the magic is running. That perhaps they, they, they were looking around at each other, seeing Jesus is sleeping and thinking, this isn't the way that it was supposed to end, right? Maybe, maybe we got some things wrong about Jesus. Have you ever experienced the end of something in kind of an abrupt way and thought, that can't be it, right? That can't be the end. There's supposed to be something more, something after. And, and Jesus wakes up, and in the way Jesus does, he sees the hearts of his friends and the fear that they are experiencing in this moment, not just of the storm, but that maybe Jesus wasn't as powerful as they thought he was. Maybe they had gotten something wrong about it. And Jesus responds to their fear by saying, Where, guys? Where is your faith? Where is your faith? And I think Jesus' response seems puzzling until you remember that these men have experienced the healing of Jesus. They've, they've, they've been a part of the teaching of Jesus, the power, of, they've seen the power of Jesus in these unique ways. And Jesus is saying, why now does fear take hold of you? Do you not remember and know who I am? Do you not know who I am? I think sometimes we get into challenging moments of life and it causes us to forget the places that Jesus has engaged in our past. 
I think we do this a lot in our relationships, though, don't we? We live kind of in a, you know, what have you done for me lately kind of world, right? Or if, you, or if, you know, if, if you're not doing something right in the, in the immediate moment, it's like we've forgotten everything that has happened in the past with the relationships that we're a part of. It seems like we sometimes forget our own story with people. And if you've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, then sometimes we forget our story with Jesus. And the moment something becomes unclear or unknown, we start second-guessing those relationships. And it's in those moments when we need to be asked, where, where is your faith? Do you not remember what we've been through together? Do you not remember where we've been? I think it can be easy to lose perspective on the journey that we've been on with people and with Jesus at times. And this story is a reminder that Jesus has walked with you through every moment of your story, whether you realize it or not. Jesus has been there. And when we start to see this, that Jesus has been there all along, our posture to these moments of uncertainty shift from reaching out of, reacting out of fear to one where we move in the power of faith. And we trust that Jesus will remain who he is. And we enter the uncertainty with hope and faith rather than fear. Okay, so that's our first story that we're looking at this morning. This second story, Jesus and his disciples, they land across the sea and they're met by this man that is possessed by demons. This man has lived his life outside of the borders of the nearby city, bound and chained as a way to control and subdue the commotion and chaos that he was causing in the town. And so Jesus meets this man, and immediately the man is afraid of Jesus' approach, because for as long as this guy can remember, the only touch that he's experienced was by the hands of people who wanted to control him and to contain him and confine him. And so he sees Jesus and he thinks, Jesus would do the same thing. That's not what Jesus does, though, right? And it makes sense, then, that, that, that this guy is afraid of Jesus. And if Jesus doesn't extend a hand of containment, he, he extends this, this touch of freedom to this man. And so the demons flee into the herd of pigs, and the people are caring for the, who were caring for the pigs, they run back to the town, and they tell the townspeople everything that's happened, right? And so all the townspeople, that come running out, and they see this man who has been possessed by demons, a man that was living on the margins of society, someone who would have been filthy, who was... According to John's account of the story, yelling through the streets, causing all sorts of, of chaos, and he is sitting there calm and in his right mind, sitting right next to Jesus. And it says that the townspeople then all fear Jesus and ask him to leave, which is kind of strange. But I think there are two moments of fear within the townspeople in this story that I want to address. First, they feared that the demon-possessed man they feared the demon-possessed man. And so they sent him away in chains to live on the margins of society. Right? They feared this man and what he was doing in the city. But the second, and I think the more egregious fear, was that they feared the potential of this demon-possessed man coming back into the town and disrupting the comfort and peace of the town. And so they see Jesus bringing freedom to the very people that they had put in chains, and they were overcome with fear that Jesus would disrupt the way that they had normalized 
disenfranchising people to make their lives comfortable. You know, so I, I live in Seattle, and, and, and you guys know that there is a lot of homelessness in Seattle. And I don't think that it's necessarily that people in Seattle are afraid of or fear homelessness, as long as we can keep it at a distance and ensure that it doesn't cause us to feel uncomfortable. I think the biggest fear that we have in our city is being uncomfortable. The easiest thing in the world is to make claims that we are for certain things. The hardest thing in the world is to live into the claims that we're making. Why? Because typically, there's a level of discomfort that comes with standing up for the things that you believe to be right and true. Somewhere along the way, it will cause you to be uncomfortable, and in our city, we work really hard to be comfortable. The life of Jesus, the life that Jesus lived was radically different from the culture around him, though. Jesus came to disrupt the comfort of people who had made it their life to pursue comfort at the expense of the people around them. And so people feared Jesus because they knew he was changing culture, he was changing things around them. I like being comfortable. <laughs> I like it, right? I like having a nice home and having things a certain way. I like feeling like I'm in control of life. But there are moments when my desire for comfort and control, to control the things around me, causes me to miss opportunities to engage in compassion on someone else's behalf. So at, at Missio, at our church, we finished about six weeks ago a series called um, The Way of Jesus. And in that series, we were looking at different teachings of Jesus, and then we would look at examples from his, his own life of how he lived into those teachings that he was teaching his disciples. And so one of them that we looked at was compassion. And we talked about how compassion is seeing the suffering of others, but then having the willingness to step into the suffering to help find a way out for those people. Right? Compassion, then, is uniquely different from things like empathy or sympathy or regard or other words like that, because in each of those, there is the ability to see the suffering of others, but oftentimes that's where it ends, and there isn't the willingness to step into the suffering of people. But, I mean, isn't compassion, though, exactly what Jesus was about? As he's at the right hand of God, he's looking at the suffering of humanity. What does he do? He doesn't look at it and go, man, better for them. No, he leaves the right hand of God and steps into the reality of humanity, even to the point of dying on the cross so that then humanity could be lifted up into the presence of God, out of the suffering, right? That's what, that's what the story of Jesus is. And so often we have the eyes to see the condition of others but lack the willingness to step into people's stories for fear of losing our comfort and our control. So this is the second story that we see in Luke chapter 8. Jesus is saying, look, step into people's stories, no matter how messy those stories are, because in it, there is the potential for people to experience freedom and goodness in you. And that's important. So that's the second story, the final story. So Jesus is walking, and there's this crowd is around him. And there's a synagogue ruler named Jairus, and he comes to Jesus, saying his 12-year-old daughter is dying. And this one gets really close to home. He's my oldest daughter is 12 years old. 
And so Jesus starts heading to the man's home, and the crowd is getting so large and tight together, and they pass this woman who has been bleeding for 12 years, and this lady has seen every doctor imaginable, and no one has been able to, to cure her condition. And she, she, she sees, that's a tongue twister, she sees Jesus, knows his power, and fights through the mob to get just a touch of Jesus' cloak because she believes that even the clothes that touch Jesus have the power to heal her condition. Right? And then she's, she's thinking, and honestly, if Jesus can't heal her, then what does she have to lose? Nothing else has worked. And so she reaches Jesus and barely touches his cloak and immediately is healed. And, and this is one of my favorite moments with Jesus because I, I find the funny in the Bible. I don't know if you guys like to find the humor in stories like this, but I find this one a little bit humorous to me, because like, the, Jesus uh, stops the crowd after this woman touches his cloak, and he's like, who touched me? Who touched me? And his disciples are like, what, is he crazy again? There's like, uh, there's like a, you know, dozens and dozens of people surrounding him, and it says they're so tightly packed around Jesus, right? And they're like, everybody's touching me. What are you talking about? And Jesus says, no, no, no. Someone touched me, and I know it was different because it was the touch of faith, and I know it was the touch of faith because power has gone out of me. And then Luke says that the woman, seeing that she couldn't go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at Jesus' feet. This is important. She wasn't afraid of Jesus. Okay? You need to hear that. She wasn't afraid of Jesus. She was afraid of being noticed by the crowds. Why was she afraid of being noticed by the crowds? It's because she was unclean, right? She had been bleeding for 12 years, and according to Mosaic law, women who were ceremonially unclean weren't allowed to touch anyone, much less the Son of God. And so she was afraid that people would, from that point forward, know her, know her as the unclean one, who by touching Jesus also made Jesus unclean. And yet she decides that her fear is not going to keep her quiet. And she admits to Jesus in the crowd why she touched him. And Jesus looks at her and tells her, because of your faith, you have been healed. You know, I think a lot of people never receive healing that they need because we allow our fear to keep us from taking bold steps of faith toward Jesus. Think about the relationships that you have that are suffering, the calling on your life, whatever it is that you're not stepping into, the thing that is standing before you that because of the uncertainty of it, you're not taking that step forward. I think the craziest thing about the unknown is that it will always remain unknown if we stay put. And stepping into the unknown doesn't guarantee things will turn out the way that you expect or want. All you can do is take that first step and trust along the way. See, this, this woman had no idea what would happen if she came forward. And Jesus met her in the unknown space with grace and love. You know, some of us need to step into those unknown places. I don't know what that means for you. It could be a relationship that needs to be reconciled. I don't have any idea. Don't be afraid to step into that space. You're never going to know what the unknown has in store if you choose to remain still. You know, when my wife and I moved to Seattle in 2015 to start a church, we had no idea what was going to happen. No, no idea what was going to take place. We moved to a city, and we didn't know a single person there. We didn't even really know the city very well. And seven years later, God has done something that we don't understand fully why and how he used us to do something to reach people in that city. But it takes that step into the unknown 
So this whole moment is happening with this woman, and it's as if Jesus has forgotten that he was headed to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. Do you guys remember? <laughs> That's where Jesus was headed. And he stops along the way, and it's like, oh, I forgot, Jairus, and let's go. And the greatest fear that a parent has breaks into Jairus' reality as someone from his house comes out and says, don't bother Jesus. Your daughter is gone. Don't, don't bother Jesus. It's a crushing feeling, right? Jesus hears this, though, and he says, look, don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. I mean, those are powerful words, right? Those are awesome words. And I wish I could say, see, isn't it that simple? When something is going wrong, don't have fear, just believe, and everything's going to be all good because God's going to give you the thing that you need or want. I wish I could say that. The problem is that we all know that doesn't quite work that way, does it? There are moments when we lean into this and we pray and we pray for God to enter into whatever moment of pain that we are experiencing. And in faith, we ask for deliverance because we know that God is a God who delivers, who heals, who, who brings people back from the dead. His power is sufficient. His love is never-ending. His grace is compelling. And he can take my story and he can bring the thing that we so desperately need. And yet there are moments when he doesn't answer our prayers the way that we expect or want. And to be frank with you, I think this is the biggest fear that we all actually have when it comes to walking with Jesus. What if I move toward Jesus? What if I pray and I don't feel it? I don't see him, or right? he doesn't answer me the way that I'm hoping for. I think somewhere along the way in our world, we started seeing God as this magic genie, and whenever we ask for he's got to give it to us. The problem is this isn't the way that anything works, so why would it be our expectation of Jesus? You know, if we have that posture in our marriages and our parenting, then we're setting ourselves up for massive heartbreak, because marriage isn't about demands and getting all your needs filled. It's about meeting a person in the midst of all that life has to throw at you, and in the storms and in the challenges that you face, you look at the person that you love and you say, well, you know, I, don't know, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but at least I'm not going to be alone in it. You know, so much of our walk with the Lord is one where we don't know what will happen next. We started Missio Church four years ago with a hope and faith that God would do something that we knew we couldn't do on our own. And in that moment, we chose not to be, not to let fear immobilize us, but for, for our faith to launch us forward. You know, I don't know why there are moments when God heals some people and he doesn't others. I don't know why my brother wasn't freed from his addiction the way that I wanted him to be. This is a, I was telling Drew, I appreciated coming on this Sunday because uh, on Thursday was the 13th anniversary of my brother's death. My brother suffered from addiction and drugs that really messed him up. And one day it took his life. And when we prayed, and we prayed for him to be freed from his addiction, to be made well, but it didn't happen. It didn't happen. See, in that moment, we were Jairus pleading with Jesus to come and heal my brother. And then one day, 
I receive a phone call from my dad, and he tells me that last night James died. And see, I didn't have Jesus in that moment, looking at me saying, don't be afraid. Just believe, and he'll be healed. That's not what he said in that moment. Believing in Jesus doesn't mean life will always be rosy the way that we want it to be. It will still, it still means that there are going to be moments that are difficult. Moments that are challenging. Challenging things on the horizon of life. And this is what makes stories like this so difficult at times because we read about Jesus' power to heal and we read about his power to bring life out of death and so we pray that sometimes the unthinkable still happens, right? And I don't know about you, but in those moments, doubt begins to creep into my heart in ways that I never thought possible. We, I say things like, man, I've walked with Jesus my whole life, but then you let that happen? But see, life with Jesus is not about always taking the painful, about him taking the painful moments away so that we never experience those moments of potential doubt or fear. Life with Jesus means that in all of those moments, I am not alone. I'm not alone. Jesus himself is walking with me as I navigate the pain and the uncertainty. It's as if the message of Jesus in those moments isn't him saying, don't be afraid, just believe, and then they will be healed, or this situation will be taken care of, or whatever it is that you're walking through. Maybe the message in those moments is, don't be afraid, just believe, for I am with you. You are not alone. You're not alone. Jairus in this moment is about to give up. His daughter is gone, and there is really nothing else to do, but I love what Jesus says. He says, don't be afraid, just believe. And when the most difficult thing takes place in our lives, we have the opportunity to say, I don't understand. I don't understand. But I still trust that Jesus is with me, and I'm not. But he still knows our heartbreak and longs to comfort us, because that is what is happening when you're in relationship with someone. You know, being in a relationship with Jesus, developing intimacy with Jesus, means a real-life relationship. It means sometimes we get it, and sometimes we don't, right? Some days are good, and some days are bad. And Luke 8 is helping us see that in those moments of uncertainty that happen every single day in so many different kinds of ways, we don't let fear make us lose faith. Instead, we lean into Jesus, into that relationship, and we trust that our faith will propel us into the trajectory of hope. Um, thank you guys for letting me share this message with you. I'm going to pray, and then I think there's another song or two or something. But let's, uh, let's pray. God, I just thank you for moments where we can look at the, these stories of your son Jesus and what he does in the world and how we can live into the trajectory of hope in the midst of every challenge and thing that we face in our life. Just pray that you give us eyes to see you when it feels so difficult to find you. And then also help us to remember that when we can't see you, there are people around us who are wanting to help us, to help us see you, to remind us of your presence. Thank you, God. It's your son, we pray. Amen.